Yep. Um, if you want to live as a somewhat as a free American, and that's kind of shaky right now too, already. Uh, just be in be in prayer for that. You know, there's some things in there's some things in people's in in life in general. I should say there's some things in life that mark people with what we call a stigma. A stigma. Here's the, def, the dictionary definition of a stigma. I don't know if we really need this. But it's an association of disgrace or public disapproval with something such as an action or condition. And some people come through life and they have stigmas on them. Whether it's where they lived, whether it's how they grew up, whether it's the side of the tracks they grew up at. You know, it brings a stigma. Uh, if you live down at, uh, oh, i got to be careful here, at Jenkins, down at Jenkins, uh, there's a little bend in the road, Jenkins Hill there. It wasn't called that. We called it something else. There's a stigma if you live there. Uh, it, it, it was the same stigma. I'm trying to give you some clues without saying the same stigmas that you might put on somebody from Arkansas. Anybody from Arkansas? Okay. Something to have to do with, you know, with <laughs> exactly have to do with you know family trees that look like telephone poles. Anyway, uh, we had we had a name, but they had a stigma down there in that part of the country. You know what I mean, don't you? Yeah. Or maybe you live down in Hobson Holler, south of Aurora. That came with a stigma. Yeah, that came with a stigma to it. Uh, no, but there's things that bring stigmas to us, don't they? And so, within society, those things change. You know, whether you did time or not, that brings a stigma, whether you like it or whether we like it or not, it does. You know, divorce brings stigma, not as much as it used to, but it used to be really bad. Voting for Joe Biden, that's going to bring a stigma. Yeah. (laughs) That you will never, ever, only the blood of Christ could take that away. (laughs) No, I'm just... uh, (laughs) Yeah. An association of disgrace or public disapproval. All right. You know, a Bible word, I think, which is somewhat similar to stigma, there's a lot of similarities to it, is the word reproach. Some similarities. Reproach just means shame, infamy. Here's the same word, disgrace. Disgrace. So with most things that bring reproach on somebody, there is a continual battle for some people to try to get that stigma removed from their life. Sometimes, like I said, society changes and that stigma just kind of goes away. Sometimes our actions change and the stigma goes away, right? You change your vote from Joe Biden to, you know who? I'm I'm not electioneering. Oh wait, Johnson Act, that's been revoked. I mean, I can say whatever I want now, right? I think that's, I think Trump got rid of that. So you change your vote from Joe Biden to Donald Trump and uh, the stigma of being a baby murdering money grubbing communist Marxist goes away. And uh, so that's, that's, uh, yeah. You'll go from being like this, this cold hearted dolt to a loving, stable genius, right? Or something like that. You know, there, there's ways to get rid. Here's what I'm trying to say: there are ways that stigmas can be removed from our life. Okay, that's all I'm really saying, in a really divisive way. 
but hopefully not divisive here in this room. So as a Christian, what is the thing that is a reproach to God and how is it removed? Okay, we're going to look at this here tonight. In chapter 4, we've just been through this. Joshua and the children of Israel, they've crossed the Jordan River. God gave the command. Joshua gave the charge. The people obeyed by faith. They walked. They, they crossed through that river. They followed the ark. The ark went into the river. We know how this went, right? And they followed it in there. They co- collected stones while they were in there, 12 of them, for a monument outside the river when they got through. Do you know they also collected another 12 stones to build up a monument in the river? That would have been under, under the water. A monument seen and a monument unseen. Yeah, watch this. A, a monument for those not there, future generations, and a monument only for those who were there. <laughs> let me say it this way. Israel built a monument for, maybe. let me call it this, maybe the mind, maybe for the intellect. Somebody can come to these rocks and, and just by pure academics they can say, well, this is where my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather and all of our people came through the Jordan River, came right here, and, and this is how God did it. That's kind of more of an academic memorial that was built, but that one under the water, that one under the water, it's kind of a, mor- a memorial that is built in the heart, isn't it? For the one that, was, the one that stood there. The one that walked through that place. It was for them. Deep down in their heart, they knew what happened there. And it changed their life. So they've come across the Jordan River. And here in verse 14 of our text in chapter uh, chapter uh, 4, in verse 14, Joshua now is, being, is, is going to be magnified by God. Now think about this. We know this. Joshua came behind Moses. Moses, uh, I'm telling you what, you talk about big shoes to fill. Pretty big shoes to fill. This guy had connections with Pharaoh. It would, it would, he would have been like a, uh, I don't know at this time where, how, the, how the connection would have been of, uh, of, of more of a grandson brought up under Pharaoh, brought up and taught in Egypt. He had a great position there, undoubtedly. And here's this, this, this Moses who actually faced off with the Pharaoh of Egypt. Led Israel out of Egypt, met with God on Mount Sinai, got the Ten Commandments. I mean, he saw some things that were absolutely incredible. All of the miracles that were done to him, talked with God face to face. These are pretty big shoes to fill, aren't they? Yeah. I believe it was, if I'm not mistaken, when, um, when, uh, when Adrian Rogers took over, became the pastor after R.G. Lee. If I'm not mistaken, I'd have to look. It's been a long time. But I believe Adrian Rogers said, well, that's like trying to put a piano in a closet. He's he's saying, I can't fill the shoes of R.G. Lee. And uh, 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 I think the church was about three times the size of R.G. Lee's time he was done there. But but the the, the understanding he, he had, and the understanding he knew that there were some pretty big shoes that he was going to fill. And do you realize this? Think about this. Joshua is being magnified here. But do you realize when God commanded Joshua, nobody heard God tell Joshua these things, did they? I don't think they would have. This was between God and Joshua. Just like Moses talked, like God talked with Moses and directed Moses. 
You know, this is where faith is necessary for doing anything or for following any of God's ordained leadership. Whether it's a husband, whether it's a father, whether it's a pastor. God's ordained leadership. Those following authority. You know what a lot of times? You don't get to hear when God directs them, do you? You know, God doesn't come to your kids and say, All right, buddy. (laughs) Now I told your dad he's going to have to start giving a little more admissions. So no bicycle this year, you know. God doesn't go to your kids and tell them what He's telling you, does He? You know, God doesn't come down and meet with the church and say, All right, Jim Bob, Jim or Bob or Jim Bob, either one, or all. I I, I just told your pastor yesterday to start a new bus route and get more kids. They need to hear the gospel. God doesn't do that. I mean, He might put it on your heart for something. But, listen... This is what I'm showing you here in Joshua's life. God didn't come down to Israel and tell them what He told Joshua. He just told Joshua, you know, a pastor may approach a church and hopefully if the church is in tune with God, a pastor might uh, approach a church and say, this is where I believe the Lord is leading us. And And the people will say, okay, well, we'll follow you through that. Which is following God, right? They end up following God. And this is, listen, this is what took faith on Israel's part in following Joshua. God didn't come down. Listen, God commanded, God commanded Joshua and Joshua charged the people. So what they are doing, watch what they're doing. They're following Joshua without ever hearing what God told him. He just came out and said, this is what the Lord wants. And this is where faith comes in, right? They're following him by faith. You know what? You know what's going on here? There's some risk involved, isn't there? Now, undoubtedly, they were there. I'm saying undoubtedly a lot tonight. i got to stop this. Uh, uh, undoubtedly, I can't think of another word. They were there when, when Moses brought, came to God and said, we need uh, somebody uh, to take over my place. And God said, it's going to be Joshua. And the people were there. They knew they knew that, that Joshua was God's choice. They understood that. But here we have uh, an event in their life where the faith actually paid off, didn't it? They followed Joshua. They went through. They got on the other side of the Jordan. It worked. No, this is really, this is what God said to do, obviously, because it worked. I remember when you guys, when you had to kind of follow me, and when we dug up the building over there, I thought, well, if this doesn't work, you can just find a new pastor maybe, because this is a lot of money over here. Yeah. Yeah. And when we found out it worked, and it was drier than cracker juice now, we like that, right? And uh, it's like, whew, that paid off, didn't it? Yeah, kind of, kind of wondering there for a little while. Well, watch this. It paid off. Look what God did in verse fourteen. They followed God by following Joshua. In verse fourteen, on the day that the on, on that day they passed over the river. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. Moses had already been a proven leader. It, I mean, the miracles were already there. He was a proven. Now that they have miraculously crossed this raging river, Israel now fears Joshua like they fear Moses. Yeah. And we're going to see, actually, you know, when, when you think about it, you get into the book of Judges. The uh, children of Israel served God all the days of Joshua. 
and all the days of those that outlived Joshua of that same generation. He had, a, he had an incredible impact on their life. And we'll come to that later in Joshua, in the end of Joshua. But notice something else here that's going to happen. Brother Jim read this to us. Uh, the, the, the men of Israel are going to be circumcised. We understand that circumcision was a token of the covenant that was made with Abraham. It was an everlasting covenant. It was made with Abraham for, for the seed, with the seed of Abraham. And it included, it included the land. So here we have circumcision going on. We have the Passover. Remember, it was instituted there back in Egypt. And then the circumcision was performed out in the, we believe in the wilderness. Son, Moses' son, remember they were circumcised on the way down into Egypt. And the men of Israel were circumcised there before the Passover. And, uh, but that generation now is dead and gone. That generation is dead and gone. And the command to circumcise hasn't been accomplished on this generation that's going into the land that, we, that we're reading here in Joshua chapter 4. That they, they've, been wait, they've been out in the wilderness. This thing hasn't been uh, taken care of. So here's another area of obedience, a part of the covenant, a part of the token of the covenant that they were supposed to do forever, and it hadn't been done. So God tells Joshua, get this done next. Well, they're taking care of some loose ends here. And so here they are. They're being circumcised. Why? Well, number one, God said so. <laughs> number two, because it's a reminder. It was a reminder of their relationship with God. It was a reminder of the promise of God. And so the Jordan has been crossed. Joshua has been magnified. The men of Israel have been circumcised. They're just taking care of everything that God has intended them to take care of. But the fourth thing I notice here in our text is that they are now here in the promised land. And what comes in the promised land here now is, I don't know, maybe, maybe the word I can think of is just satisfaction. They're satisfied. What was the promised land? We know where it is. We know where it is, the land of Canaan. We understand that. God, in the Bible, we get the, we get the parameters where it actually is. Pretty large compared to what they have now. But what was it? The promised land was, let me, let me say this, the land was not their source of salvation. They were saved when they entered into the land, right? The first generation was saved in Egypt. The second generation, well, if they, if they were saved in the wilderness. Future generations, though they will get saved in the land, they will get saved the same way as the first generation and the second generation got saved. They'll get saved by faith and belief. Salvation hasn't changed. I don't, I don't know, maybe somebody in here believes in different means of salvation from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The Bible doesn't bear that out. It's been the same thing from, from, from the beginning of time to now. It has been the same thing, faith and obedience to the voice of Jesus Christ, to the voice of God. When you come into the New Testament, what is Jesus? You remember that? He's there in the, in the Jordan River. He's being baptized. The Father says, this is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. Hear ye him, what does Jesus say? You must be born again. Yeah. Same thing. Salvation hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. And so the land of Canaan was a land promised by God. It, was a, it, was a, it represented a land it provided by God. It was a land prepared by God. It was a land uh, with purpose. Purpose by God. What purpose? Well, blessing. 
blessing, fruitfulness, a, a testimony of God that all the world could see that this it, God has put His name here and has put His people here. It, 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 it is the purpose of salvation. What do you mean? You just said they weren't saved in, in, in Israel. No, but salvation came uh, by, through Israel in the land of Canaan, the Messiah, right? Jesus was going to be born there. He had to be born there. Salvation was born in the land. Identification. That land identified them with God. And even to this day, even though they are away from God, even though they are estranged from God, the land of Israel still identifies the, 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 the people of Israel with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It still does. But also not as only as an identification, but the land, the land, uh, the purpose of the land was rest. Rest. Some of you want to get rest now, don't you? You're like, if you'd hurry up, I'd go home and get some rest. <laughs> yeah. So now that Israel is uh, safely in their new homeland, uh, there's a couple more things you can see here in verse 10 of chapter 5. I want you to notice this. Verse 10, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal. They kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. So here they are. They're, they're con- continuing to keep the Passover. That, that picture of the, the coming Lamb of God. In a few couple thousand years here, a few thousand years, John the Baptist is going to stand on the banks of this same Jordan River. This same river. And he's going to point and say, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And this is this, this, this Passover here that they're keeping. Notice else what happened here, verse 12. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Why did God stop the manna? <laughs> it's really easy. They didn't need it anymore. <laughs> they didn't need it, need it anymore. You know we have a more sure word of prophecy tonight? Yes. And there's some things we just don't need anymore? Yeah. There's some, there's some things we looked at in the book of Acts that we don't need anymore? We don't need anymore. The manna stopped. Some things, listen, God, there's some things that end that we don't need. And this is what happened in Israel life. They're going to, they're gonna, listen, they are going to feed and they're going to be sustained and fed off of the land that God Put them in. That land was going to provide all of their needs. It was going to produce everything and anything they need. Now, don't miss this now. The only way that they even access this land, here where they have their provision, where the manna can now cease, the only way they got into this land was, was by faith. No, he didn't place them in the land and say, okay, now go ahead and walk by faith. They, they, no, God, God made them start from the outside. They were walking by faith on their way up to the river. They walked by faith into the river and through the river. And they walked by faith as they passed into the land. It was all by faith. It was all by faith. There is no other way to enter this land. God, there was no other way to come in. It had to be by faith. But now notice this last thing. And we'll finish up here. Would you look at verse 9? And the Lord said unto Joshua, 
This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And if I'm not mistaken, Gilgal just, mean, Gilgal just means a rolling or a rolling away. But God said, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. We know that word reproach, remember that? Shame, infamy, right? D- uh, 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 disgrace. What that word means? What was the reproach of Egypt? What was the reproach of Egypt? What was the reproach of Egypt that had been hanging around the neck of Israel? Why don't we start here? What does the promised land represent? Well, the promised land represents the spiritual life. The promised land represents. The faith life. The promised land represents rest. Rest, right? Well, what does Egypt represent? A life lived in the flesh. A a life lived by sight and not by faith. the, the, The life of Egypt represents a life of work and toil. So watch this. The reproach of Egypt was the works of Egypt. Though the world couldn't see these things yet, okay? Though the world could see these things, I should say that. It's worse that God saw these things. Do you realize coming through this wilderness wanderings, there was, God is saying it right here, there was a reproach that was on Israel as they were coming through the wilderness. And what was that infamy? What was that shame? What was that disgrace? Well, they just couldn't stop living the Egypt life. They just couldn't figure out how to live by faith. They just couldn't figure out how to, how to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. They just couldn't figure out how to rest in God. What a mess, what a mess that 40 years was, huh? And so, so notice this, by rolling off the reproach of Egypt, God was taking away the stigma that hung around the neck of every Israelite that came into Canaan. Unbelief, labor and toil, faithlessness, living in the flesh. Their life in Egypt, that, that's what that was. That was their life in Egypt. That life that that first generation just couldn't get victory over. So when Israel obeyed God and moved by faith, they left the wilderness and they came into the promised land, God now is no longer calling them fleshly. He's no longer calling them unspiritual. He's no longer calling them faithless. Now they're going to have some struggles, don't worry. But this generation right here, why did he why did he turn off why did he roll off the the or turn off or or take away or roll away that stigma of Egypt from off of them? Because they finally believed God and just obeyed. Remember I said this was an individual faith and belief? It was no longer the faith of, of Moses that led them. It was their own faith and their own individual faith that they had to follow. And follow God for themselves. You know what's happened here in in Joshua chapter 5. 
is that because they finally lived by faith, because they finally came through this Jordan, they're, now they're finally in the promised land. They're, they are, let me say it this way, they are in the will of God where God wants them to be. Now God can roll that reproach off of them that used to hang around them that said Egypt. Egypt. Yeah. You know, the mark of faithlessness is now erased. It's been, been erased. Let me say it this way. The mark of faithlessness has now been erased by the mark of faith. The mark of the flesh life has been erased by the mark of a spirit-filled life. Right? The, 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 the mark of a life of labor and toil and problems because of this has now been erased by the mark of a life of rest. You see that? God rolled, watch, God rolled away their reproach because Israel rolled away their reproach. Yeah. But I still can't get over the fact that in the eyes of God, there is this reproach that followed them through those wilderness wanderings. And it didn't leave until they got to where God wanted them to be. And the only what the only way they could get there was by faith and trust. Yeah. And once they did, once they believed them and they went in, God rolled that away. And he even named that place Gilgal so they'd never forget it. This is where it was. They've got the monument there. I mean, you talk about a, 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 an object lesson. The river's there. The monument's there. Those that went through know there's a monument in the water. The name is the very place is named Gilgal, and they they know beyond of a shadow because we walked by faith and finally believed God and and did what He told us to do. It was right here that God's that that all that stigma of Egypt fell off of us in the eyes of God. So we might say tonight, well, how, do, how would this apply to us? Yeah. Well, as believers, you know, our life can be marked by the reproach of this world as well, can't it? We've Undoubtedly, we've all had... Oh, I said it again. Without, without fail, we have all... We have all gone through places of our life where we've probably had the stigma of the world wrapped around our neck faithlessness, living in the flesh, just this labor-intensive life because we just refuse to rest in the Word of God. Doesn't life get really hard when we just don't trust Him? Have you ever gone through that period of life and and you're just banging your head up against the wall trying to do it your way when when you finally just, just kind of surrender and give in and just do what God wants? You're like, that was really dumb. Because, boy, this is really nice where we're at now. Yeah. So, our, listen, no, our lives can be marked by the reproach of this world. And the remedy for rolling away our reproach is the same for us as it was for Israel. What is that? Walk by faith and obey God. Right. And, and the only way you're going to obey God is to walk by faith. No, nobody wants to walk around with some stigma, with something hung around their neck. 
Yeah, you voted for Joe Biden? I mean, that will never leave you, ever. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as a child of God, God doesn't want us walking around with a stigma either. Why? Because we've been purchased by Him. We've been provided for by Him. We are, hopefully, uh, uh, this wonderful term, trophies of His grace. Because we belong to Him. Because He's our Father. And we're His child. And as we walk through this life, living like the world, there is a reproach marking our life that brings no glory to God. It's a faithless life. It's a labor-intensive life. It's a life lived in the flesh. Let me ask you a question. If the, if the reproach from this world bothers you, shouldn't a reproach from our Heavenly Father bother us as well? Yeah. Thankfully, it was removed here. It was removed. Now, now don't, don't forget, there was a generation that died in the wilderness that never lost that stigma. That's why they were dead. They never would believe God. You know, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't know about you tonight, but I, I you know, as, as much as I could or, or thought about it, I, I did. I mean, I think everybody in here had grown up with a desire to, to somewhat please your father, have your father proud of you. Have, have them say, well, that was a great job. Well, that was... The, or hear them tell, talk to a friend about you or something like that and say, boy, they did a good job doing that. Boy, I, didn't, don't, didn't you like that? Didn't you like that? I don't think it should be any different with God. As my life and your life can bring, can bring glory to our earthly father, uh, shouldn't it be our desire to live in such a way that pleases God and will glorify Him. So you say, well, what do I do? What do I do? Live by faith. Just do what He says. Obey. Obey. And listen, when God orchestrates a Jordan River in your life, walk through it by faith. And that faith, watch, that faith will erase the stigma and the reproach. You say, it's too late. You're breathing. It's not too late. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can live by faith. Yeah, absolutely. Would you turn to Hebrews chapter 3? Stand with me and we'll end with this. Hebrews chapter 3. This same theme is here written by the writer of Hebrews. I have a great inclination to believe it was Paul and not Apollos. But obviously the Holy Spirit saw fit not to name this person. <laughs> look, at, look at verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Evil, an evil heart. Unbelief is evil, yeah. In departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is cold today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end while it is said, Today, if you will hear His voice, 
And harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. He's speaking of Israel here. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them, look at this, that believed not. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Chapter 4 and verse 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us, New Testament Christian, left us of entering into this rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well unto them. That us is speaking of, of, of uh, uh, New Testament believers. Uh, as well as unto them. Them is speaking about Israel, uh, Jews. Uh, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith and them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works there were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth, that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Unbelief. You know what will keep that stigma hanging around your neck? Unbelief. And disobedience. What's a part of that stigma? No rest. Wasn't that what Egypt was? No rest. Why do you have no rest? Because you're living the flesh life. Why are you living the flesh life? Because you're living by sight, not by faith. But I'm telling you tonight, if you choose tonight just to live by faith, you may be at a river tonight, and I don't know. You may be at something that I'm telling you, God has been leading you somewhere, and it seems impassable. And I'm telling you tonight, if if you just believe them and obey and go through that, Oh, I'm telling you, you can't have a stigma on you. It's not possible. (laughs) It's not possible after that. You'll roll it away. Maybe you've lived a life of unbelief for a long time as a believer. Maybe there's some issues that God has dealt with you for years and you're finally, you're at a place where it's like, we just got to do it. He'll roll that, he'll roll, he'll roll that, that stigma, he'll roll that, that stigma away. It's up to you. It's up to you. Like Joshua is going to say in the future, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do what you will. You choose, you choose today who you're going to serve, who you're going to follow. And uh, just trust Him, would you? Just trust Him. Father, thank You for the message tonight. Lord, uh, it could be that there might be somebody here tonight that's looking at a huge river a place that you're leading them that they just it just doesn't seem possible. They know they may be convinced it's your will. Maybe it's in some direction in their life, maybe it's in something in in in, in their life and the that the way they're living that you've been putting a finger on to to do or to not do or what what whatever it is. I know if you're working uh Lord they know. Father, would you encourage us tonight just to trust you and follow you? Would you help us, God, just to do what you say? 
that the reproach would be rolled away. That we'd never have, as a child of God, that we'd never have hanging around our neck a reproach or a stigma that says Egypt all over it. So, Father, I thank you for what you're going to do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.